1: Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we welcome back Ken Reed. Ken does the excellent podcast called TV Guidance Counselor. He's been doing it for, I think, over eight years now. He just dropped his 500th episode, and uh, he was a big inspiration to me. Listening to his show was really what made me want to do this show, so... Uh, way back when, when I first asked him, would would you ever want to, you know, be on my show? And he said, yes, I was, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it. And then uh, that led to me getting to be on his show in late 2020, and uh, having him back here. And now, the fact that he's back for a fourth time, and uh, I kind of consider him a friend. It's just, uh, it's just a great, big, awesome thrill. That's All I can say. And Ken is here for a very important and well-known and beloved episode, Season 8, Episode 12, Seven Little Indians. Had an original air date of January 3rd, 1987. Are you ready to jump on in? Let's face the facts with Ken Reed. Ready to (laughs) start?
0: Are we ready to start talking about the singular greatest episode of the facts of life in all nine seasons, David? And this surpasses any of the amazing episodes in season six, like the cruising episode. The Oh my God. This is the episode, David.
1: Well, I, I'm ready to talk about season eight, episode 12, Seven Little Indians. I'm not sure if that's the same episode you're talking about, Matthew. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get there, welcome back to the show, Ken
2: Reed. Hello. And uh, I must apologize formally to your listeners for neglecting to mention my appearance on Fourth of July week uh, on my year end in review special. I will blame. My kidney stone in November and painkillers. That's what I'll blame. (laughs) Just like a famous person would.
1: I was going to bring that up because you talked about how you have. I've heard of people having kidney stones and God, I hope I never have to experience it. But you said it sent you to the emergency room twice. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Because so it feels like. First of all, it starts, it feels like someone kicked you in the balls, like that kind of radiating, like kind of uh, pain. Uh, and then you get like the worst stomach cramps ever. Like you just ate like Taco Bell out of a dumpster. And <laughs> then it feels like someone's stabbing you in the, in the kidneys with just needles that are on fire. <laughs> and then it and this is all at once and then there's no like alleviation like it's just constant so the first day i went they gave me some non-narcotic painkiller because everyone is on opioids in new england uh and it's just nothing i it was like in agony so i went back two days later and then i had to have surgery Oh, bless <laughs> it was nine millimeters Ooh. <laughs> the size of a bullet oh
0: my god the fact that well at least i mean god surgery is terrible but when they're like "Mm, you just gotta pass it and you're like oh i get to send this um fucking thing through my dick hole
2: okay which isn't the thing that hurts weirdly because it's (laughs) it's going from your kidney down the water slide of your ureter into your bladder that hurts because it spasms and it's also not smooth it's like a spiky thing yeah. scraping yeah, oh, it was, oh, oh. It was bad but they did put a laser in my peel awesome i was asleep for it though so wow. someone saw
1: it i i don't even think i i want to even fantasize about that it's still too disturbing
2: <laughs> but, but uh, i mean that was better than what they used to have to do so
1: <laughs> yeah true very very true they used to I think they yeah. used to have to stretch it open and send a nurse in there or something back in the
0: I will never understand sounding. I know people are into it and I just
2: is that like people doing that for
0: it's when for... people sticks like metal rods into their Ooh, urethra no. and I can't I'll, I can't oh, even yeah. it. I, but that I doesn't have... happen on this episode. No. And no. I had a stent
2: put in and then they took the stent out and that was a whole other thing. That was oh, the single kinkiest wow. experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> 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 it felt like murder. Which brings us to,
1: <laughs> oh, wonderful! Look at that—a professional, ladies and gentlemen. That is a podcaster who is now in his ninth year,
2: yeah, of year doing nine. his
1: show. You're in your ninth year of TV guidance counselor, and oh, I still love the show. It is still oh, so you. much fun. And thank
2: you for listening. Still. We are
1: we are both avid listeners, and uh, yeah, back in one of your earlier appearances. This is your fourth on our show, by the way. Yes, four timer. And it was uh, in an earlier show when I was like, what were some of your favorites? And you, were, and you said, uh, Seven Little Indians. And you said to me, uh, I think I'm going to do that episode on your show, whether you want me to or not.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And uh, I was very thrilled to be like, done. It's like, no, you don't have to ask me. You're, you're Ken fucking Reed. You get to
2: do it. <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So uh, this lovely gem of an episode from January 3rd of 1987, first episode for 87 guys. And uh, let me do a little bit of nuts and bolts here just to get the sort of mechanics out of the way before we start talking about the show show. The title of course is a play on the Agatha Christie play called uh, 10 Little Indians. And actually 10 Little Indians is the name of the play. And it's sometimes the alternate title of the original novel she wrote called and then there were none and uh, all of these are lyrics from a children's song and my further research tells me that the original title of it it wasn't indians. On, it wasn't indians <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't a bad word for indians it was a bad word for another minority group that we won't say so what was that <laughs>
2: Are you familiar with the original name of the candies, sugar baby and sugar daddy?
0: Sugar baby, sugar daddy. Yeah. No. Why? No. Um, Why? It's uh, the
2: same slur. <laughs>
0: yeah. What it is was that? called? It was called Ten Little. N- okay.
1: No, it was not. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wikipedia, it. Mm-hmm. This w- episode
0: of the Facts of Life was called Ten Little.
1: N- no, N- no. 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 The original Agatha Christie novel. Oh my That God. she wrote. Upon ah. which this title is based.
2: Keep up, Matthew, for Christ's sake.
0: I would like us to refer to this as Seven Little Indigenous People. Yes. From now on. That, that was be...
2: very common in children's uh, rhymes and songs at the time, like Eenie, Meeny Money Mo also featuring catch, catch a tiger? It wasn't a tiger. Wow. Well,
1: I'm glad that children are less racist nowadays than it's, they it's were. It's nice. Yeah. In the turn of the century or wherever. But uh, as the first episode, January of 87, we had a two-week break where uh, there was one week where they did do a rerun, and the previous week to this one, December 20th of 86, Christmas week, they ran a special. It was a one-hour special called Christmas Snow, and it was, uh, I mean, I guess technically a TV movie, but only an hour long about a shop owner who is being evicted at Christmas, and she rescues her Scrooge-like landlord from an accident. And it starred Catherine Hellman, Sid Caesar, and it was the first film appearance of a child actress named Melissa Hart, who would Uh, later become Melissa Joan
2: Hart. You mean my good friend Sid Caesar, who I met in 1982? (laughs) (laughs)
1: When I was two years
2: old. (laughs) When you were two years... How does a two-year-old
1: communicate to his parents I want to go see Sid Caesar live and meet I
2: him. don't know but I went to Framingham where he was doing dinner theater <laughs> and <laughs> I... yeah I have his autograph still my dad when he was moving he was like I have your dumb Sid Caesar thing you made us go meet him and <laughs> what they take what was the end fucking love letters for Christ's sake I don't know I think he might have just been doing like a comedy musical yeah. review that happened a lot there it was that theater in Framingham it was there forever and you know who was always there is um Betsy from Palmer. Yes, Betsy Palmer. Oh. All the time. Yeah. The Melody Barn, something like that, yeah. <laughs> um and it was someone's name. It was like it was like some some foreign guy, like some his, his like Spanish like Ricardo montoban style's name. Like it was like Ricardo montoban's Theater of Stars. It was some kind of thing like that. <laughs> uh and I remember I was researching in newspapers nineteen eighty one for some reason last year um and the week Friday the thirteenth came out in theaters, Betsy Palmer was in that at in framing <laughs> at
1: that place, and her life was about to change forever yep. yep uh, that wonderful interview that she did years ago, where someone is just like, so Friday the thirteenth, Friday thirteenth then she was like. I've been in the industry for twenty six years, and I've made over forty films. Shame on you! You don't know any of them. Like she sweetly, like fucking, read him. Do you know why she
2: took that movie? Uh, Needed the movie. Her car (laughs) broke down, and they paid her exactly what she needed to get a new car, and it was like three days. And then Gene Siskel published her personal address. Because he was so mad, he hated that movie so much, and he told people they should just uh, harass her for being in that movie. No,
0: I didn't know this. Oh yeah, <gasps> well that's the equivalent now to somebody adding someone on Twitter. Yeah, if you at someone? Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. bitch.
1: But 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 back to the back to the sidebar of this little movie called Christmas Snow, which is on yes. YouTube, by the way. I will post it on the webpage. page. Uh, the original book was by Paul Thoreau. And he wrote The Mosquito Coast. That's what he is most famous for. The Mosquito Coast, uh, which was a film with Harrison Ford. And as I'm clicking at things, it's also a series right now on Apple TV Plus. Oh, I didn't know that. And it stars and is executive produced by Justin Thoreau. So I'm like, wait a minute, Paul Thoreau, Justin Thoreau. Must be his son. It's his nephew. Oh, this okay. dude is, is Justin Thoreau's uncle. And so I had to go back and look. Sure enough, Paul Thoreau from Medford, Mass, Ken. There you go. They always are. Mm-hmm. They
2: always are.
1: Yep. Aunt went to UMass Amherst, which is where I went to school, class of 63. That's the uncle. Justin Thoreau was uh, raised in D.C. He's not a mass hole like
2: we are.
0: How did and... he become the premier of, of Canada?
2: You're thinking of Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Thank you.
0: You are correct, sir. Thank you. Yep. Never mind. What
2: <laughs>
0: are we? Are we to the point where George Clooney's hanging in the closet yet?
2: Okay. Yeah. Are we there yet? I think no. he's hanging in a John as the theme to good time says.
1: Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's a, that's a deep, deep cut, deep dive sidebar there on the movie that ran last Saturday night. But this Saturday night now, January the 3rd of 87, we get this episode, Seven Little Indians, written by, to my great surprise, John Boney, B-O-N-I.
2: Who only wrote three episodes of the show and they were all that season.
1: Yes. Also including Cupid's Revenge coming up in five weeks. And actually, next season, this is third one. That's Golden Oldies, the one where they yes. spoof the Golden Girls. That's actually which is, season nine.
2: Which is a really weird episode as well.
1: Uh, we'll have to have you back for that one. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, but I was really surprised because there is a writer in the writer's room, Ken, that we've been keeping our eye on called Michael Maurer, M-A-U-R-E-R. And we already talked about him because he wrote Come Back to the Truck Stop, Natalie Green, Natalie Green, when you were last here. Mm-hmm. He would go on to write the weirdest, like we like we said, he's a cartoon guy. He would write the weirdest episodes like The Candidate, where Blair is in the kangaroo suit. Yeah. Out of Peekskill Part One, where Mrs. Garrett has a nightmare funeral uh, sequence. Uh, another room where Blair hilariously flies through the wall from the attic, which is next door to the bedroom and lands on the bed. And uh, the most tame of his episodes was the recent one called Fast Food, where Natalie gave Blair a job at the restaurant right or yeah. whatever it was called
0: that's uh, still so pretty fucking cartoony a little bit yeah, right?
1: well Mr Morer is in that writer's room he is still very much here along with some of the other writers we've been discussing in the last few weeks so
2: he was a story editor on this one as well this episode had more story editors than they normally have in an episode which mm-hmm. I assume was like punch-up researcher people they had like seven
1: so previous to this uh episode in The Facts of Life, Mr. Boney wrote for a National Lampoon TV show in 73, Flip Wilson's show in 74. He created a show in 75 called When Things Were Rotten. Yes. Which I don't was remember. Executive
2: this. produced by, I believe, Mel Brooks. Oh, okay. I, I believe that does it sound was familiar. A sitcom set in medieval times, I think. Okay. Huh.
1: So then uh, he was the head writer for Captain and Tennille, the variety show. Uh, he wrote 133 episodes of The Electric Company. Yep. I loved that. Was was better than Sesame Street. I loved The Electric Company. It's probably the gay thing in Rita Moreno.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say it was better, but I enjoyed it because he had Spider-Man. Sp- oh, that's true. You did. And Joan Rivers
1: narrating Letterman. Yep which was clever. Matthew, you scowled when I said, I love the electric
0: company. Do you have something to say? No, I scowled when you said it was better than Sesame Street, dude. No, no, no. no. I liked it
1: better. I I liked Sesame Street and I appreciate what it was. But as a kid, I enjoyed The Electric Company a little more, particularly as I got older, because Sesame Street can sometimes be for little, little
2: kids. Well, you're you're a huge Morgan Freeman fan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Easy reader. That's my name.
2: When I was a kid, my mother used to do, uh, used to, do like a legal babysitting at my house i think she had like an illegal daycare
1: illegal daycare
2: yeah. oh sure uh yeah we'd get like some kind. we used to get big uh tubs of teddy bear peanut butter and like for but um there was a kid who she would watch who his parents were like steven cannot watch the electric company he will go nuts he hates it so this kid so of course i was like five of course i'd put it on and this kid straight a meltdown like a full-on freak out
1: was he a racist did he hate the spanish
2: i have no idea what his deal was but this kid if you put the electric company on it it did not end well wow Okay. i was busy watching the new zoo
0: review thank you very much and nobody remembers that show but me maybe
2: the worst puppet mouths in the business, oh,
0: worse than any Sid and Marty Croft,
1: and that's <laughs> yes. saying something.
2: It's like just slightly above pillow people. Yep. It's like they didn't even cut molds out. It was a person in the suit just punching the fabric <laughs> from inside. <laughs> <laughs> like I just picture a guy in there, like like little gloves on, just like yeah, this is talking, right?
0: Oh, uh, if you and- remember the news review, there are bloopers that are online <laughs> of like them being very very filthy with each other yeah that's that best,
2: best, wonderful the best kind of puppet blooper
0: fuck you freddie <laughs> oh, no. yeah
1: and henrietta hippo voiced by hazel Shermit, who was the store clerk on the facts of life when joe uh, uh robbed the what am i trying to say um shoplifted shoplifted the blouse thank you From can't Mrs. find G. my words and and that same actress was she was also Miss Downs, the director of South Pacific, when Tootie got the role of Nellie Forbush and Natalie uh. was jealous of her. The first one was called Shoplifting, second was called Green Eyed Monsters. So yeah, there's a, a facts of life news who review connection there. But
0: back to John Boney in the future. <laughs> Jesus Christ, we ain't even on scene one yet. Sorry, it's my no, fault.
1: no. Uh, He also would, uh, he was the head writer on America Tonight. Yes. Which, you know, also Fernwood Tonight, same show. right?
2: Spinoff of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman.
1: Yeah, he also wrote for (laughs) uh, the Stockard Channing show, Flow, Thick of the Night, Kids Incorporated. Five Kids Incorporated episodes. That was the week that was. Small wonder, another world, the soap opera. For a while, I wanted to make sure to throw out there that Mr. Bodie is quite the Renaissance man as far as he's not sticking to any one genre. He did
2: 227, he did, yeah,
1: Billy Conley show, General Hospital, uh, the 1999 Lassie. And uh, he does have some producing credits, but primarily they are writing credits. And um, I shouldn't be talking about him in the present tense. Sadly, he passed away in 2019. But uh, what a deeply varied body of work he leaves yeah. behind. Yeah. And, and the best uh,
2: episode ever of Facts of Life.
1: And uh, okay, we're, we're going to go with that. I wonder uh, if Alan Thick got him the gig. Oh, because he sang the theme song. That's right. Thick of the night. Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. All right, kids. Well, we cannot do a line by line synopsis because then it will be uh, me reciting the script but having to stop for 10 minutes in between each and every line. Yeah. I
0: stopped taking notes about halfway through because I was like, when Joe said, when Joe said, what, Tootie's overacting? I was like, (laughs) they're doing this podcast for us. Oh, yeah. this (laughs)
2: is uh, this is this is the most meta episode of facts of life i think Uh,
1: very true very true it is so out there it is such uh an anomaly among the body of work they really rarely ventured this far out as far as dream sequences nightmare sequences and all that so um instead of asking you ken our uh our guest to give a tv guide synopsis uh, instead, I'm gonna do a little bit of a broader synopsis and then let's all go back, okay and talk about uh, individual stuff, kind of piecemeal random style. But the episode has uh, Beverly Ann asleep in the dark in a terrible thunderstorm that we see outside the window. And uh, she wakes up and realizes the girls aren't home and, Uh, No sooner does she call George to check on the girls and see if they were able to get out of the movie theater okay. Uh, We pan across and there is an actor portraying Rod Sperling. Not to be confused with Rod Serling, but an amazing Rod Serling impersonator. and We're going to talk about him for quite a bit. And it becomes this meta thing of, is this reality? Is this a dream? Is she still asleep? Well, the girls come home and they were out seeing a slasher film. So they're all spooked and Tootie doesn't even want to go to sleep. Tootie ends up not staying in her new inner bedroom. She is outside in the Blair and Joe bedroom and a scream is heard and Beverly Ann reports to them that Andy has been killed. And then slowly, one at a time, all of the girls are murdered in the the in pers- in progressively more broad and cartoonish ways until the very end the killer is revealed to be blair in a fright wig because she's trying to eliminate people who are under the 50% tax bracket like yep,
2: who buy their shoes at the supermarket
1: yeah it's literally a, a 1% yeah uh, fuck all of the rest of you uh motive that is revealed here and uh, it, it, it is just crazy with it going back to Rod Sperling periodically, and the performances are all extra over the top. Uh, Clooney is in this, and this is, I think, his penultimate episode. Yep. And so we haven't had a lot of Clooney this episode, but he, just like he was in the truck stop episode, he is just, he knows the assignment. He gets it, and he is just so freaking dashing and chill and delivers the jokes beautifully. And, uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about the episode. Guys, if you haven't watched it, if you're listening to this podcast, if you watch only a handful of actual episodes, really, you need to see this. There's nothing we can do to fully convey no, what No, it must all. be
2: seen. Clooney's so good in this episode that... One of the best jokes he has Beverly Ann, straight man's without you hearing him. He's not even in the joke. (laughs) It's when she's calling for that. He goes, George, can you go drive by the cinema and see if they're there? And then she goes, uh, yeah, of course I'll pay for gas. I don't think an oil change is necessary (laughs) and you can hear him say it. Yes. But you don't ever hear him. Like he just, it's that good. And
1: Cloris Leachman is that good that she can make us believe George Clooney is saying that on the other end of the phone? She is off the chain. This episode. Let's talk Cloris just for a few minutes, as far as hitting just the right level of yeah, I'm still in the sitcom and I'm still playing Beverly Ann, but when she first appears in the doorway, wide eyed, it's Andy. He's did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, and they're like stuttering. And then she gets an amazing death scene when she drinks the poisoned cocoa, Mm -hmm. the full-on two hands clutching at her throat, uh, flopping her body around the room, running to the piano and playing Beethoven's fifth to accompany her own death. High school drama club Shakespearean. Uh, I mean, but supported. Like she is selling it. And then when she collapses on the couch and make sure her legs are up on the couch, like she is positioned and poised, uh, perfectly chloris is just she is worth her weight in gold for this particular episode and we've been really struggling with figuring out her you, purpose yeah. and w- w- witnessing the writers struggling with that this
2: is when they stop writing her as mrs garrett light yeah she starts to be her own character around the second half of this season where they kind of decide oh she's a weirdo but a totally different kind of weirdo than mrs garrett and uh more aggressive isn't the word but like they they start to make her a different character rather than just like oh mrs garrett too she's not she's not bub from uh from my three sons no (laughs) no
1: yeah she's so flaky the thing is i think we finally kind of try to get rid of the flaky having her adopt andy because that's coming up uh soon as well uh and uh
2: all that. She does make an odd suggestion in this episode as a character where she suggests they have hot cocoa to help them sleep. That is not gonna help you sleep. That's a lot of sugar. Chocolate's got a lot of caffeine. Hot cocoa is not gonna help you sleep.
1: Wow. Oh, maybe the warm milk, maybe they were trying to draw a a thing. But I do have to credit the writing in this, and I don't credit the writing in this show much, and certainly not this season, is uh she th- they drop. The thing of the cocoa, at the very beginning. Oh yeah. When she first exits, and we are left with Rod Sperling. She says, "Ah, oh, cocoa. That's what I need," and goes out. Then later, she offers him some cocoa. And then there's even a, uh, "Oh, I'm so glad I put the cocoa in this thermos, meaning it's been sitting around where someone could have put something in it. It
2: keeps hot stuff hot and cold stuff cold. <laughs> How do it know?
1: Oh, bless." Uh, Let's talk about him. Rod Sperling.
2: Yes, Maurice LaMarche, who was a Canadian stand-up comic uh, impressionist. People probably know him uh, best as the brain's voice from Pinky and the Brain. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he also was uh, Egon in The Real Ghostbusters. And in Ed Wood, he does the voice of Orson Welles, even though the character is played by vincent d'onofrio they had vincent d'onofrio could not do an orson welles impression so they had maurice lamarche come in and, and do orson Welles.
1: and he had been doing it on animaniacs right
2: yeah because yeah, he's, the brain character is basically an orson welles impression oh is
1: that what it is i don't yeah. see this is terrible maurice lamarche he is i typically can you know i'll say so-and-so had 120 credits over a 40-year career or something like that Maurice LaMarche has four hundred credits, and he is still alive and kicking. Oh yeah, I've met him. And I, my next question was, do you know him? Something tells I do. me you know him or have had an interaction. Maybe you mentioned it in the show.
2: Yeah, I, he's he will be on the show at some point. He's he said he wanted to do it. Um, but yeah, he's buddies with Dana Gould and all those guys. So, um, one of the times we went and saw Dana doing a live Planet out from Outer Space, Maurice was there. That's right, because um, he
1: did The Simpsons and their yep. time. Probably yeah would've.
2: he's he's like in those top five voiceover guys like he's in there with billy west and frank welker maurice lamar like there there's like four or five guys and he's ck some yep he's <laughs> one of those guys
1: <laughs> well that's just what i was gonna i was gonna say the thing for me is it's i understand what a titan he is in the voiceover world i'm just a little too old that i did not grow up with him the way i'm sure you did uh in my place i was still in the casey Kasem in you know ted knight doing the yeah. announcer voice on super friends and uh well, super
2: friends
1: <laughs> yeah we i mean mel blank was still working when i was a kid yeah. they were oh, welker
2: still... was still working welker was in all that Well, true welker was
1: yeah. doing scooby-doo back then and all that but um yeah it's uh but no we still had dawes butler and yeah. with um george the- jessel george jessel who's the uh and you know is it freeze rick freeze oh, yeah paul freeze paul freeze from haunted mansion and who is the guy who was the voice of mr ranger on uh yogi bear and oh
2: um uh, i can't remember his name don messick
1: oh yeah yes don is. oh my god i remembered something i'm yes. so happy yeah. So those are all the guys that were around doing the things when I was a kid. And then, you know, this whole group, Maurice and all of his peers came in after I was too old to be really watching cartoons. But I did catch some Animaniacs that was kind of a working he on would, two levels.
2: Around this time, he was on TV quite a few times doing stand up so Mm -hmm. he he was on like evening at the improv and like you would see him do do stand-up was mostly impressions.
1: the rodney dangerfield young comedian special from 1984 which is on youtube and i will post the video Mm -hmm. and literally it's him doing all of his impressions and the thing he ends the act with his button is rod serling yeah i mean he nailed specialties and no
2: one was really doing Serling at that point
1: no. Well, he does joke at one point that they go through the elaborate series of things that cause Andy's death. They say he slipped on this. He fell over as he was inflating something. When he opened his mouth to scream, the rubber cement fell in. And to my delight, talk about a heady joke. Beverly Ann says death by Rube Goldberg. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yep. Speaking, someone someone went to college. Holy and then it shit. gets
2: better, though. Like, they make that joke even better with, with Lamarche. Where he says, Rube Goldberg. A name from the past. Yes, yes, okay. Probably don't know who that is. And then he goes, yeah, "Yeah." but then again, you probably don't know who I am, and I don't know who you are. uh, (laughs) It's really funny. It was
1: brilliantly written, really and and truly.
2: The reoccurring thing of him enjoying saying, Tootie. Hmm. (laughs) To the point where I think the fourth time he comes back, all he does, they cut to him and he just goes, Tootie. And then that's (laughs) it. It's, it's really funny.
1: Yes. I like saying that. Uh, and now here's the thing. You, you would know this better than I would. The new Twilight Zone was on TV 85, 85. to 88. Yep. Was he at all a presence? Did they even like, he was like Alfred Hitchcock presents, they would show older
2: clips. Did was They would colorize. No, they actually had um, for a bit of time, Burgess Meredith did the just voiceover there was no oh, on camera okay. person um and then they had another guy replaced for the later seasons when i went into syndication but it was burgess meredith for a while
1: mm-hmm. rip taylor i think is who it was, it was. rip
2: taylor yeah. uh yes it That's was true. it was paul lindt <laughs> <laughs> he would do the he would do this monologue you're gonna give each episode
1: submit it for your approval Ooh. the goddamn jews run hollywood those <laughs> fuckers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah so so serling was not uh, a presence in the last on camera thing he did was night gallery yeah well
0: he died uh, in 75 at the age of 50
2: yep Rod oh yeah he died
0: very
1: young yeah but oh but he, he chain smoked he was a workaholic <laughs> yeah. work like he cranked out and oh my god there's dana gold has done such such lengthy um deep dives about him on on his pod and it's it is fascinating i i feel like a little bit of a uh you know amateur expert if that's a thing because of uh, that and and Dana Gould's obsession with Planet of the Apes which one of the drafts of the screenplay was Rod Serling's and and he just lays it out and think of it Planet of the Apes is just a big long episode of the Twilight Zone yeah absolutely it's like oh fuck it is holy shit and uh, and Dana Gould then went on to author the graphic novel version of Serling's yep. draft, draft of the screenplay, and it, it's it's marvelous. I I
2: really love it. I I do want to mention one of my favorite things is so the movie they go see, which as a kid I remember them saying they went to see Ghoulies, but that's actually in a different episode.
1: Yes, <laughs>
2: yes, Uh But this one, there, it's like some. It's probably the lamest joke in here is the name of the movie. Yeah. It's like The Halloween third.
1: Hacker 3, yeah. Part 6, A New Beginning, Dave
2: Returns again. Which that's not funny. No. But calling the character Dave is really funny because <laughs> it seems silly, but when you think about Freddie and Jason, like if we didn't associate those names with the characters, they're just like some dude. So yeah. like, why wouldn't it just be Dave? sure like it does, he says it's great
1: yeah and, and again freddie freddie not fred or frederick yeah. it's freddie yeah. so the fact it's not david returns
0: it's
2: dave no, dave like what's up it's dave yeah oh jason jace good guy jace
0: <laughs> blair has a line that i still use to this day i will work it into conversation i was so scared my deodorant failed yes come on <laughs> yep And Blair is setting up the ball on the tee, telling everybody I'm about to walk away with this fucking episode. You're welcome. Yes.
2: There's also an amazing uh, self-referential line where Tootie says, you're in trouble.
1: She has not said that, Ken, for at least three years, if not four or five.
2: Yeah. It's great. And can we talk about Andy and Beverly Ann's Galoshes, oh, go for it, because they're real strange. Uh, I, they're mm. like '80s latex pixie boots. They were called
0: children. They were called duck boots, is what they were. Okay, and they were pretty popular. Um, they were kind of like the equivalent to moon boots. You remember when moon boots were popular oh, for yeah. the kids with in snow um yeah they were called duck shoes i think or or something
2: like that they're very pointy they're very debarge actually (laughs) they were ll bean actually so but i know the ones you're talking about but did they make ones like they had here with these are like neon like she has bright red ones and okay yeah
0: yeah like the like the ll bean one was like that yeah see
2: those ones i know
1: yeah that is familiar to me not these brightly colored they're very they had like Cartoonish. a little puff.
2: Yeah, they were like yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it was the 80s. So yeah. it was like, here, we can yeah. make these in fucking neon blue bitches.
2: <laughs> they looked too feminine for Andy and too young for Beverly Ann. They look wrong on both of them.
1: I will I will say I will agree with that statement.
0: I just Absolutely. watched Andy. They tucked Andy in on that couch the way he was laying, and I remember thinking. Remember when you could fall asleep like that and be able to walk when you woke up? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: It didn't take you a half hour to be like, where the hell am I? Oh, my <laughs> God.
0: <laughs> and how did I fall asleep
2: with my neck like that? I'm going to yeah. be
0: stuck like this for the rest of the day. Oh, <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, fucking Andy. Uh,
2: no, when George comes in, I don't know if this is... Uh, now, this has to be a, an on-purpose reference. Did you pick up on this reference with George, the Stephen King reference? No. What did he say? so this is pre it the miniseries and the movies but george comes in dressed exactly like georgie from it and they give him a balloon <laughs> like georgie had in it
1: oh okay that didn't even occur to me that they gave him the balloon as the device and you know, the oh, balloon okay. is what
2: really because it's it's oddly specific like like it's a joke to have a balloon foot, but like having him dressed exactly like georgie in it, in that rain that's sp- very specific rain slicker with the balloon
1: that it's didn't even be. occur to me but it's got you're right they've got to be like it's a stephen king reference so wow ahead of its time facts of life
2: wow there's some deep dive obscure references. because there's also when the the dice come rolling down the stairs did you get that reference no What's so that? that's a reference to the george c scott movie the changeling where his, his kid dies and he keeps seeing this bouncing red ball, this children's ball is like haunting him in this house. And there's a scene where it comes bouncing down the stairs, this red ball, um, in the same exact way that those red fuzzy dice do. And it, it has to be a reference to that because that's such a specific weird thing.
1: Yeah. And then later when Natalie is discovered dead with the dice on her head, they all scream,
0: oh, craps. Yes. Ha! I know it wasn't on purpose, but I did laugh that because I loved how many like we're making fun of our own show references. There were like Joe saying, "What Tootie's overacting" and all that (laughs) stuff. Yeah, but um, but when Natalie goes to put the closed sign on the door, and it's always closed. It's the same on both sides. I was like, oh, I guess they're laughing at the fact that their store is never fucking open. Yes.
1: (laughs) No one's ever (laughs) minding the store.
0: But I don't think that was the intention of that joke.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it was funny. Again, that was the more cartoonish. That was, you know, even going uh, the extra step there with almost absurd uh, type of stuff.
2: Well, then they literally Mickey Mouse the music when uh you know that phrase the the phrase mickey mousing comes from is that Uh, where that is that yes because the music term when they would have live organists Mm -hmm. in cartoons they would every single step would be like (laughs) so it's like way overdoing and that's what happens with Tootie when she's walking in to the point where she actually breaks the fourth wall and references it yeah like i'm trying to sneak up on somebody
1: yeah would you be quiet she shouts i'd be quiet i'm trying to sneak up in here
0: which and made then, me have to, I actually watched the episode twice when I started to notice that because I realized the person underscoring this should have gotten a fucking Emmy. Yeah, True. Whoever yeah, wrote yeah. the score for this because the the music becomes a fifth, uh, another character of the show. True. Which just makes it so wonderful, David. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, I haven't said it explicitly yet, but I'm not sure I can say this is one of my mostest favoriteest episodes of the show. But the thing that I do like about it is that it, it goes. They, remember we talked about in, in Truck Stop. There were points where it kind of started to go a little to a place, but it didn't go far enough with it. And then yeah. out of the blue, when the, when the arm came up with the lighter to light the cigarette yep. that Natalie didn't smoke. The it hells
2: was the pop kind of surrealist stuff. Yeah.
1: All this. The one thing I will say for this is this goes over that line, stays over that line, and can justify it by it completely being a nightmare sequence. Someone is dreaming it. Rod Serling is narrating it. So... Uh, the good thing is I'm I'm not sitting here going well that sign wouldn't have closed on both sides that right. would be weird because the store has to be open sometimes I think you know
2: it's a rare TV sitcom where the entire episode is a dream sequence and the only other one I can think of is um, the Dick Van Dyke Show the Walnuts one oh I don't know that one oh he so he goes to bed and. Um, it, it, he basically has this dream. It's an invasion of the body snatchers, but they're walnuts, and it's you. will You may have seen the footage of Mary Tyler Moore coming out of this closet on like a sea of walnuts. Yes, that yeah. I've seen. That yeah. whole episode is like a full half hour dream sequence, and it's the only other sitcom I can think of. Besides the Golden
0: Girls when Blanche dreams that her husband is still alive. Is that Big Daddy. We no, her husband, oh, okay. um George, and we don't find out that it's a a a of the whole episode, was it was a dream? And I think is that the episode where Dorothy's dating Sonny Bono and Lyle Waggoner. <laughs> I think like it is. Do. Yeah, it is the episode where, and like you're watching that throughout the whole thing, and then you're like, oh fuck, it was a dream. Dorothy's not dating Sonny Bono and Lyle Waggoner <laughs> for Christ's <laughs> sake. But um, what about the whole series of new, new Heart Heart? Being a dream. Yeah, but that's
2: a whole thing. Like you know, this is. Yeah. They at least <laughs> tell you. Uh, or the whole the season of Dallas was a dream. Yeah. Or the whole it's, several seasons. It's yeah. been done. St. Yes. elsewhere. Yeah, but like that's a whole reveal. Like the Rose and has been dead the whole time reveal. Oh. But for like one episode, <laughs> it's it's actually I feel like it's harder to do that. Like the well, one episode yeah. full dream sequence. I
1: think to compare it to is like the Laverne and Shirley, where they dream that they're old and Laverne is fat, because there's nothing more hilarious than a person in a fat suit. But if you recall, it starts with her dad and Mrs. Babish in the living room watching TV while Laverne and Shirley are asleep in the bedroom. And he is screaming, I want Laverne to get married. I want grandchildren, blah, blah. And then it cuts to Laverne starting to toss and turn in her bed overhearing this. And then we go into the So we see the precipitating event that precedes The nightmare or dream sequence. The
2: subconscious inciting incident.
1: Oh, there you. Damn. (laughs) That's why he's the TV guidance counselor, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen.
2: Oh, we find out Blair has a cell phone.
1: Uh, Blair has a cell phone on a direct line with Tiffany's. Tiffany's. Yeah. So when she goes upstairs, let's talk about Blair, because Matthew was right. Lisa Welchel, she shines. When she is allowed to get goofy, she embraces it so wholeheartedly even nancy mckeon for what a great actress actress she is nancy mckeon's kind of subdued in this
2: she's low-key in this one she goes full sarcasm but blair blair get the full range oh. she's even doing snappy jokes at the beginning that are like kind of subtle comparatively
0: yeah and another great line when they're talking about how andy died oh he owed me six, six bucks. bucks yeah
1: and then they go, how
2: did this happen? Well, he wanted to buy a record. record. No, yeah. and, the murder the murder. We, we learned that Andy died eight, at least $18 in debt. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah. he
1: owed George child. 12. That's right. Um, but when we have uh, Blair, Blair goes upstairs to... Uh, to get her cell phone because yeah. they can't, because the wire's been cut. And of course, it's like, well, who cut the wires? Well, I mean, who would do that? That's when they see Beverly Ann also has the galoshes on and they're wet and it could have been her and dun dun dun. So when Blair goes upstairs, they, oh, that's when Beverly Ann says, but you know, if those dice rolled down the stairs, down the
2: stairs, yeah,
1: somebody had to set them in motion. And that's where they all go. <gasps> is Blair in danger. They all run upstairs and she is in this fright wig. And I think that's the right word for what it is. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the still picture throughout on the message boards. She is just this mane of teased up hair sticking straight out. Like she's stuck her finger in a light. She looks
2: like the, uh, the Debbie Harry solo record. I think it's called the Huntress movie from okay. 1985 or so. You know, Matthew you knows what I'm talking about. And it's like, it's the exact same hair.
1: It's insane. It is perfectly and comedically, uh, literally standing up. And when they find her, she is frozen with a goofy look on her face. She's like, almost like going a little buck tooth. And the whole thing is that, well, what happened? <laughs> it was, she was moose to death, wasn't it? Because she's stiff. Because she's stiff. Exactly. But she is stiff holding up the mirror. And they say, well, Blair, she died the way she lived, looking at herself. Well, one thing I did in this episode is when Blair later appears in the store, at this point, everyone is dead. The last two were Joe and Tootie. Tootie leaves. And when she comes back, she finds Joe in the store dead. And then while she is there looking on in horror from behind the counter, we're talking. Oh, hold
2: on a second. She convinces herself she was the killer first. Oh, that's
1: right! you right. She's which like, is, it
2: must have been me. <laughs> which is, she's so, is is a really funny scene because she like, as an actress, she's really excited about it.
1: Yeah, multiple personalities, <gasps> the six faces of Tootie. Because yes. she's all like,
2: I get to be my civil. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, and then it, it gets so it's it's more crushing for her when Blair pops up because now she doesn't even get that.
1: Yeah, and you hear the voice, and this is literally Lisa Welchel's ventriloquist voice when I was she does say, what is that voice she's
2: using? Yeah, if you've ever seen voice- her do things, I
0: have it's not- when she does this. She's, and then
1: there was Tootie. Why does she use that voice here, though? I have no idea where. How did she get this face of clown makeup that was makeup. not on her? Yeah, and and it's it's just it's it's so weird and non sequitur, and I. Love it because we are in the realm where they can get away with that shit. But she stands up from behind the counter now with, uh, you know, a crazy face, like back to Stephen King's it. It's like a friggin' clown. It's makeup. like
2: whatever happened to baby Jane. It's like, like yeah. She, yeah,
1: it's, it is kind of that. Yeah. And so this is where Blair reveals that she is the murderer. And I did have to go back and say, okay, let's reverse engineer this and see could Blair actually have been the murderer? And I'm sorry to report, it doesn't all pan out. Some dream of it works, logic. some of it doesn't. It's dream logic, man. Dream logic. And I will, I will give it that. I will give it that. But had the episode somehow pulled it off, I, I would have been deeply, deeply impressed.
2: Well, there's so two years before this, there's a two-part episode of Benson where they're on a boat and a bunch of people get murdered. Oh, And the first time I saw it, I was like, this has to be a dream episode, but it's not. There's literally a murderer and, you know, you find out who it is at the thing, but it, I, I did the same thing and it, it works in that episode, but that's because it actually takes place. Some dude murders like eight people on this boat. Jesus. This. And yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Um, you wow. do get to see Guillaume take down a murderer. Um, well, that's but good. Also this one, it's. The, the even though it's a kind of a throwaway anti-reagan joke basically about her motivation like me being the armchair psychologist that i am mm-hmm. i was like because because you're like oh it's tootie's dream yeah but then you're like it's beverly ann's dream and then it ends up being tootie's dream yeah dream but within
1: a dream and yeah
2: i go tootie hates blair <laughs> Cause oh. if she, this is what she thinks of her. Um, and it's like this weird, uh, you know, like socioeconomic, like uh, caste, you know, system thing
0: where wow. she really
2: thinks that Blair thi- like, you know, her heart of hearts or subconscious thinks this of her.
1: Wow. I it didn't occur to me to look at it that way, but damn, that's crazy.
0: Here I am thinking I picked up on something that pointed to Blair as the murderer, because I don't know if you noticed what killed Joe. What killed Joe was a giant Mr. Frog. (laughs) Oh, that's
1: right. That's right. That's because they say Joe's been croaked is the, the pun that they do.
0: But remember in the fire episode where Mr. Frog.
2: Yes. Ah guy, He doesn't have a about.
0: face sick <laughs> to his face, Joe. Oh, he doesn't have one.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> even scarier, like a giant burn victim stuffed frog. that's good. From...
0: <laughs> Jeez. But it was a giant version of Mr. Frog, a dream version, if you will, of Mr. Frog. Wow so i do want to
1: point out for those uh, who watched the daily motion version of the episode that there is a little bit that is missed that is cut out from the syndicated version did you watch that or do you have the you have the dvds ken right yes i do yeah so uh they cut the whole scene leading up to george clooney's death George has done the bit where he's looking through the house. He's got the balloon on a stick and he goes into Beverly Ann's room and is like, no, no, ah, and freeze the balloon. And they're like, oh, he's dead. And then he comes out saying, gotcha. And then he even <laughs> turns to the girls before he leaves, just goes, boo, and they scream and all that. So it's like, George is like, okay, the house is clear. So he leaves. So they all kind of go their separate ways to secure the house. And that's where we go to commercial. Well, which is the best
0: way to find a murderer is to go split up. Everyone go off on your own. Everyone split up.
1: Way to go. So then George leaves and then he comes back in and and he says, I'm back. Stupid me. I forgot my keys. And he looks at the camera and he goes, oh, hi. Hey, what are you doing? And then the camera starts moving around and moving towards. And we're now in a point of view Again, something we never see on The Facts of Life and haven't done in this episode. And he's like, <laughs> but, but actually, George, in his just perfectly deadpan, hey, what are you doing? Oh, you're going to murder me. I yes. can tell by the weird music. No, no, no. And the camera pans up to the balcony. And that's
0: where it goes to commercial. You know, like, we talk about you... people not doing Rod Serling. Who does George Clooney? I ask you. That uh, was dead on that was David. Good, you're, you're
2: welcome. That was oh. a good, that was a good especially Clooney from the Zero. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> this is good, good 85 Clooney.
2: And this <laughs> plays his like detachment perfectly, his like you're never in fear for him and anything, and don't believe him as an actual character, which is somehow a benefit. Um, because it was like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah clue, it's whatever. just
1: oh my god it's so magnificent <laughs> and you're gonna
2: cut something out of this episode you cut clooney footage <laughs> why why would you though granted
1: the other thing is they might have cut maurice lamarche and i i can't get behind that either yeah so uh more yeah. with the rod sir Cer- by the way rod sperling yes. using that name cy sperling not only the hair club president also a client, a client. is snapping hair <laughs> that it's true. Uh, he started those commercials in 82. So those were very big at the time. So to, to use the name Spurling was actually very timely. So more of the stuff while Maurice LaMarche is the special guest on the episode, let's let's talk about his stuff more. Uh, in the first monologue, he starts framing this as being uh, a stew of confusion uh, in a meatloaf of transcendent Uh, Stuff I don't even remember the terminology. And for once, I didn't actually transcribe it. But because of that, he gets into, this monologue is making me hungry. Yeah. And the next time we see him, they pan. And I love that he's there. He's literally there inhabiting their space. So the camera pans away from the counter where they found Andy dead. And he's just sitting at the table, that table that's still there, even though it's not a bakery and they don't serve food anymore. Why the fuck is there a cafe table? in over our heads and he's got that joke thing of it's a hot dog with the bottle of ketchup looking like it's pouring the ketchup on the hot dog but it's actually a statue where the ketchup is suspended in midair
2: huge at this time i wanted one so badly at this time yeah
1: it was like the presentable version of fake vomit.
2: Why? Like as a kid in the eighties, they seemed like the coolest thing ever. And I ended up getting one eventually. That's like a Coke being poured. Yeah. The Coke it. can that's spilled. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Totally seen it. Yeah. They had the and, Coke. Yeah. It was great. But it, so
1: it cuts back to him sitting at the table, holding the ketchup bottle. So it looks like he's pouring the ketchup and they get, he gets the laugh out of, he says a statement. And takes his hand away. And then on the same plate is an actual or a prop burger that he does bite into at the end.
2: But right before he takes the bite, he puts it down and goes, Tootie. And Tutty. then <laughs> takes the bite. It's <laughs> yeah. perfect, perfect callback time. Yeah.
1: And of all the stuff that he does, when we finally get to the end of it, he just says, you know, fact or fiction. I don't know. But I leave you with this one thought. Tootie. And that's it. Yeah. That's yeah. Beautifully done. And the the music, we were talking about the when that final pan away from him over to Beverly Ann cradling Tootie, who is sobbing or actually which she's kind of catatonic, isn't she? Which
2: is like legitimately kind of disturbing. It is. And the music punctuates
1: this with this big bum, 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 yeah. bum. And then when we go to the end credits, the end credits is just more of the underscore music. They just yep. rehashed some of that. And it does feel like it was made for the episode. It doesn't feel like this was... They're not
2: needle drops. I think they're written for the episode because yeah. I don't recognize it from anywhere else.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you there. And then when we get to the 2D walking and the music underscoring her actual footsteps, that's where I was like, yeah, this is... This is really good. And it's just, you know, synthesizey, cheesy enough. It's it's like, yeah, we know you didn't hire a friggin' orchestra. We know it's a dude and a couple of keyboards. And I'm
2: curious. I, I suspect this episode, and you know what? This will sound uh, ridiculous, but I want to ask Paul Pervenza, <laughs> because he was the warm-up comic mm-hmm. uh for till he was on the show. Um, I feel like this episode did not have a live audience. I I agree
1: with you. It does feel some of the, it does sound a little piped in and it could have been done in front of an audience, but.
2: Something about it that feels like it wasn't.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you there. Totally uh, agree with that. Yes.
2: It says here, I feel like we should give him a little credit.
0: It says here that the credit for composer for this episode is Ray Colcord who had an amazing career apparently um doing scoring for um tv shows and stuff he's responsible for getting um aerosmith signed to columbia records their first record deal and co-produced their second album emmy nominated for um, oh
2: boy meets world he did yeah 227 my two dads dinosaurs big brother mm-hmm he wrote you can't count on me that greg <laughs> evigan sings as the theme to my two dads oh bless he played keyboards on lou reed's live rock and roll animal album and keyboards on american pie by don mclean wow he did compose two horror movies uh that the music is very similar to one was called the demonsville terror which is from the early 80s and uh-huh. then he did one of the Amityville sequels, the Amityville Dollhouse, Evil Never Dies. Oh, Part Six: Return of Dave. That's right. <laughs> and and he did the music for Julie Brown, regular Julie Brown's Homecoming Queens. Got a gun. Uh, As in composed it, or yes, shut he up. wrote the lyrics, but he wrote the music.
1: Thanks for looking him up, guys. Because that it doesn't even occur to me to look that up. Typically, because we know typically the music is. Do do, do, do do Yes.
0: What else do we have to say here? I don't have anything else to this day. Whenever I find out that somebody died, I um think dippity dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. They yes. still make dippity do. I think. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. I
0: think it's it's still a thing out there. Yeah. It's yeah. like um. Brickle. Oh, what's no? It's like what's that shit that um old ladies by the powder and the Chantilly.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. It's like they don't I don't know if they still make it. They just made so much of it in one year that it's still around. Yeah, (laughs) you can find it
0: right next to the Jean Nate body splash. Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Seventies Art Nouveau revival. (laughs) Kenny, I'm so glad you did this episode because you add
0: so much insight that like, I mean, things that you notice that you know I would never even thought of like the the it reference and stuff like that you're absolutely I'm right. the
2: horror movie nerd <laughs> <laughs> uh, what you... other
1: episodes coming up are uh, do you fancy as we're looking ahead to uh, schedule what other over our heads episodes
2: um, I am uh, we got I got to do a Pippa
1: you got to do a I Pippa
2: absolute love with Pippa oh okay uh, possibly the one where she has the band uh, that Tuesday night is in okay with her um who's in Night real street part four and does the theme song okay um that's a great one i think it's the season after this yeah um the natalie spinoff backdoor pilot one with Um, richard grico
1: big apple blues yes
2: uh that is that is a classic um the blair gets in a car wreck in his ugly now episode
1: oh (laughs) my god and then the next episode looks
2: perfectly normal perfectly nothing normal. is said yeah and that episode's like full drama and she has that scene we can talk about it when we do it but which it's all like give me a mirror mirror, it's
1: yeah. like mirror like a handsome. It smashes it it's like <laughs> yeah. oh my god it's like the joker i oh my god and you are she's permanently
0: disfigured next yeah. week oh hey anybody want to stick a juicy fruit dr doom <laughs> Dorothy, Dorothy only had chronic fatigue syndrome for two episodes on the golden girls so yeah. that is full eighty sitcom full yeah. full eighty sitcom
1: like Dorothy coming in and saying they're having auditions for jeopardy it's my favorite show I watch it every night do
2: you <laughs> but not with anyone <laughs> on my own oh and then the uh it's a wonderful life uh take Beverly Ann Beverly Ann yeah yeah I
0: think it would be best to have you back for a Pippa episode because interesting to hear somebody have a, a, a positive opinion about ah oh, little Pippa. Sherry
2: Crin, who's now Sherry Austin, the country music star, lives in Tennessee. She's very nice, does country music still? I'm sure she's lovely. I'm
0: sure Robbie Wrist is lovely. He ruined Bre- Brady Bunch. That poor guy.
2: <laughs> I've had him on the show. Poor Robbie Wrist. You have.
0: I remember that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah,
2: and
1: even he is
0: like. I'm a
1: nine-year-old kid. How does a nine-year-old kid ruin yes. a show of five years in what ten did episodes? A job
2: for two weeks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Actually, uh, Robbie
2: Rist did voiceover on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Maurice Lamarche.
1: Uh Oprah full circle moment. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. And we won't even get into Big John, Little John, which starred Robbie no. Rist and the wonderful Herb Edelman who played Stans Bornack on The Golden Girls. That is
2: a weird show. Isn't it though? Weird show. Have you seen My Demon Lover? With Scott Valentine? He, he turns into a Pazatsky when he gets horny. It does sound like a movie I've seen. but It's, it's New Line Cinema. And basically they went, look, Teen Wolf's huge. Maybe we do a movie where a guy turns into something. We get someone from Family Ties, mm-hmm. and we do it. And I had Scott on the show. We talk about it, and he's like, "I don't know what the hell that was, the Pazatsky. What the hell was that?" But he gets <laughs> he gets he gets this like Greek curse on him called Pazatsky, where he turns into a demon when he's horny. But the lead female in it is the blonde girl from the Big Apple, Natalie Green episode, who's oh. it's like the only other thing she was in. Uh, But it's very much worth watching. It is an insane movie.
1: We were just talking about Scott Valentine. We were recording next week's show last night. And uh, they are, they're turning hard into the whole Natalie is dating snake now. So there are references to snake in pretty much every episode the last five weeks and going forward but i don't know that they ever intended for us to meet him it seems like they wanted him to be an alan brady or a maris phrase uh, maris crane or whatever and as they're drawing the picture of him it's like oh you mean the guy that lays the tar with the road crew uh you want to get him a bracelet yeah would yeah. go with his earring
2: it's it- nick and then we get we get damon robert
1: Romanus instead and i'm like
2: providence is he yeah oh i didn't know that and he used to own a coffee shop in la he'd just be in there all the time
1: what else did he have to do yeah but i was like i felt like they were more setting us up that we were going to get like nick from family ties like a scott valentine and yeah what a nice
2: guy he was oh yeah Yeah, he's a guy that he, he, yeah, he he told, I think he told the story on the air where him and his buddy, his buddy knocked out Harvey Weinstein. Yes. (laughs) And then then he's like, I'm not doing this business anymore. (laughs) (laughs) This is bullshit.
1: But yeah.
2: Well, that's, that's what we enjoy are these great personable
1: interviews with people we wouldn't normally hear from on the magnificent podcast
2: TV guidance counselor starring Ken Reed. (laughs) Thank you very much. Got some good (laughs) episodes coming up
1: and you've done some cons lately where you've been able to get some live interviews you started to venture back out into the real world
2: right i did once yeah before like in that little window before omicron
1: yeah <laughs> i was like oh i guess who I'll go can back remember
2: yeah so i did a local con um yeah i did some interviews there um i may be doing it again next month i think i have sheree curry and a few other people that might be uh on if I do that again, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I went out and, for that con and then in December I did stand up for the first time since March. Oh, how did that go? Uh, it was good. So like Todd Barry and I usually end up going out for about a week every December or have for like the last 10 years and we had mm-hmm. a couple of years. So we did two shows, one in Vermont and one in Woodstock, New York. And it was weird, uh, <laughs> There's, it was fine. Like, I, like my set was fine. I just, I actually went up and just talked about my kidney stone basically and why I actually like wearing a mask uh (laughs) hey that's
1: the great thing i think about comedic actors and and comedians like yourself where when something bizarre happens we do think to ourselves this is going to make a great story yeah it's worth it if i survive this it's going to be a great story
2: but it was weird you know it was weird like uh everyone has a mask on you had to be vaccinated there's a weird phenomenon that i've discovered from all my friends who are in bands and do stand-up and stuff that every live show about 20 to 30 percent of the people who buy tickets just don't come Mm. so that happens and it's it was you know it was fine but i i wasn't like i'm not super eager to get back out again (laughs) yeah well Well, ken
1: thank you so much for doing this again it's always thrilling to have you on my zoom screen and to hear your voice i listen to you every week anyway but Thank when you. i hear your voice and it's actually talking to me personally it's still really really thrilling and you add so much we we love it and i can't wait for you to come back on the show again
2: yeah i'd love being here and i will not forget this episode i'm putting in my calendar uh so when i go through we expect
1: uh, to be mentioned yep. in the 2022 yep. wrap-up and matthew
2: still has the guest
0: so oh my is, god. It's Not out, Matthew. So. You definitely need Carol Lee, who's got my
2: story.
1: <laughs> His, you need him the drag persona, Carol. No, you no well persona.
2: how would we do both? See like you both pick and then see if you <laughs> match. Uh we'll figure something out. Um how tall are you, Ken? Six three. Son of a bitch.
0: Okay. <laughs> Who were you going to guess? No, I was I was hoping that was not where it was. <laughs> I'm five foot one. <laughs> no. <laughs> he is
1: standing up right now. He's not yeah. even sitting. <laughs> well, Ken Reed, until next time, thank you again. A bazillion times over. Smooches and goodbye. Wow. Thank you. Goodbye. And there you have it. That was Ken Reed. Ugh. Just, isn't he the best guest? I mean, really. He's just, he's the best. Anyway, next week we're going to be watching Season 8, Episode 13, called The Greek Connection. You can watch the show ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember... The Facts of Life are all about you.
0: Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.